The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and today I will be talking with Dr. Katherine Foster. She is a psychologist in private practice in Fort Worth, Texas. With a master's degree in marriage and family counseling and a Ph.D. in psychology, she's practiced psychotherapy for 27 years. As a researcher focusing on the neuroscience of romance, she has some intriguing things to say about how women and men differ from each other and how their differences impact romance and relationships, including sometimes marriage. She really uh, deals with the heart of the challenges that couples face. Dr. Foster has written a few books. The one we'll probably talk about the most today is The Naked Truth About Men and Romance. And she has a couple of nonfiction books that kind of are companions to it, one of which is What Women Want, Really?, so we'll be talking about those some too. And you can find her online at KatherineFosterPhD.com. And Catherine has a Y in it. It's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, FosterPhD.com. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Hi, Dr. Colin. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So Thank you. I did. I did honestly find some of the things that you said in your books very intriguing. I think that... Even though you and I disagree about some things, we're going to have mm-hmm. a very interesting discussion today. Very good. Sounds great. Uh, where would you like to start? Should we start with how men and women are different from each other? or Well, you know, you, know, you know, one thing we might start with is how our expectations of romance begin in childhood. Um, because that kind of that gets down to some of the nitty-gritty. It begins early. And and what we find is that the genders kind of develop separately until their sexual urges compel them to become intimates. So they, they, they go from pretty much nothing to something very intense. And it doesn't give us much of a chance to understand the motives of the other. So there's there's always exceptions to this, but for the most part, kids separate into same-sex groups. And the reason has to do with what, what they want to do with, uh, with relationships. You know, the girls pretty much focus on each other. Their dialogue tends to be rich. They make self-disclosures, and those disclosures are the key to the friendship. The boys, on the other hand, are doing something that's almost opposite. They like to be in groups and center around a competitive activity. 
So, you know, if you're playing soccer or football or something, conversation is going to be minimized opposite the girls. And personal revelation is going to be discouraged. Boys tend to, boys and men, uh, tend to establish hierarchies in their relationships. Um, so you, t- you take all that, that, and we carry those expectations from childhood with us into romance. So women tend to expect men to give what they give and what they came to expect in their close relationships as kids. They, they expect emotional closeness through dialoguing, empathic listening, that includes tuning in so you can ask relevant questions and being patient and attentive and watching for the rise of feelings as the other person is talking. Staying with the speaker verbally and non-verbally and listen for cha- listening for changes. So that's, that's kind of where we begin, begin Virginia's, with, with, you know, with childhood. Okay. So I got that part that girls, uh, and I think there's a lot of research that demonstrates this, girls mm-hmm. hang out with other girls in a very friendly, cooperative, personally interested way, and boys hang out with boys doing rough-and-tumble competitive stuff. Mm-hmm. Then, then we made a jump to what people expect when they're in relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a fairly it's a very recent phenomenon for women to be expecting that men would be able to contribute yeah, in a really. relationship what women contribute mhm mhm yeah that that is recent i mean we did have about 10,000 years where females were dependent on males they, they couldn't own land they couldn't have a job really so they were dependent on on men for sustenance, you know, a sur- survivalhood. And so they they learned to, I mean, the, the relationship was really meant for the guy, you know, to support him. And she cajoled him. She encouraged him. She, she really gave everything for him because her survival was dependent on that. So we had about 10,000 10, years of, of that kind of thing. And we're in a very new place now. And I think that divorce rates are showing um, that women are expecting something else. I mean, two-thirds... One of the reasons I, I wrote this book, actually, Virginia, The Naked Truth About Men and Romance, is because of the interesting divorce rate. Uh, you know, two-thirds of divorces are brought on by women. It seems to be women that are struggling. Mm-hmm. It seems to be, in many cases, women who are finding that they are just not satisfied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although there are certainly a large number of men who are saying I'd be much better mm-hmm. satisfied with someone else or just being free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, true. And, you know, I, I could kind of illustrate that. If you, if you, what part of the guts of what I think is going on with women and their expectations. If you take two heterosexual women and they're going to lunch and they want to deepen their friendship, um, they're going to do it in a pretty predictable way. They're going to share negative emotion. They're going to talk about their sadness or their disappointment or whatever's going on with them. And in making those disclosures, they seek to be very real with one another. So that happens at lunch. Then you take one of these women and they go to dinner with their guy, and she wants to deepen the closeness 
with him too. So she does it in the way she understands. She she does the same thing. She starts talking about her negative emotion in hopes of being very real. She makes this self disclosure. Only it doesn't work because his mere neurons are a, a part of his brain start jumping up and down and go in search of the fastest way to get her out of distress. Which is very nice of him, of course, but he has no idea that he's about to shut her down. She doesn't want or need a fix. Um, it feels like he just poured cold water over her. So she, she decides, well, okay, that, that didn't work, you know. So she backs up and punts and she thinks, okay, I'm going to get him. I'm going to try to get him to talk, you know. So she sort of interviews him and tries to pull him out. Um, but a lot of times a guy's mind is in neutral and he likes it that way and she doesn't get anything. He's just, uh, he doesn't have, have anything really to, to say. So this, this goes back to the, you know, the, what we now know from the sophisticated MRIs that we have. And it shows us how the female brain is different. Um, by the age of 17, a girl's brain has transformed so that the processing of her emotion has moved up to the cerebral cortex. And, of course, that's where higher mental functioning like reflection and reasoning take place. So she can now easily explain what she feels and why she feels as she does. She can hook up words to feelings. She can reason through emotion. So she processes and at, uh, somewhere between seven, you know, be, uh, by the age of 17, her emotional intelligence has taken a leap, and she's now quite different from a man. She thinks her feelings, and she feels her thoughts. Now, this doesn't happen to a guy. His, the processing of his negative emotion remains in the primitive brain forever. So if you're asking a 7-year-old boy or a 57-year-old guy why he's mad or sad, you might get, I don't know. So the problem with that when it comes to relationships between men and women is that her identity becomes involved in this feeling thought thing she's doing. In fact, I think we need to coin a word for this instead of just calling it emotion or something. It's, it's the combination of thinking and feeling. So I've, I've joked with men in therapy that they need a tattoo because they're not going to, like, remember it. You know, they're not just going to be able to memorize it, you know, on a wrist. That reminds him to say, you're the most important person in my life. I want to know how you feel. Uh-huh. So, you know, after, after I wrote The Naked Truth About Men and Romance, I wrote the other book for guys, really. It's called What Women Want, Really. And when I wrote it, I, I know that guys don't like reading self-help books, typically. They're not the purchasers of of those kind of books. So it's very handbooky and, and uh, you know, bullet-pointed. I, I love, though, to see couples reading it together once a year. There's discussion questions in there. And it just gets down to the nitty-gritty. And, and part of it is this thing, that a guy has to be interested in what a woman feels because of the brain change that has taken place in her and not him. And, and if he doesn't, you know, then they're likely to be the couple that comes into therapy after being married 25 years, and she says, he doesn't know me. 
you know, and he, he would argue that because he knows a lot of stuff about her, but he doesn't know how she feels, and she feels like that's the guts of her. That's the real thing. So I'm I'm hearing a little bit of a what sounds to me like a mixed message. You're saying that guys' emotional processing stays in the amygdala, which some people refer to as part of the reptile brain, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't move up to the frontal cortex where thinking and feeling can happen connected to each other. Yeah. And yet you're saying that it would be really good for the marital relationship if the man could ask about and be interested in and understand the woman's feelings. So it would be good if he could do something that he can't do? Oh, I think I, I don't think it's hard for a guy to to um to do this actually. I mean I mean because what we're talking about is engaging her in Stuff she can talk about. She will still be the one who has a sync up between the feelings and the thoughts. She will be the one that needs to talk a lot about that. But he can facilitate it because he can ask and tell me how you're feeling about that. And, and, and can he understand when she does tell him? He can listen and understand? I think he can appreciate her feminine brain, you know? Because, like, like uh, you know, I, I know I can appreciate a masculine brain that's uh, focused in on tons of data. You know, like they can quote all the rock bands from the 60s and they can, you know, they know all the names of cars or, or you know, sports statistics or anything. I can kind of appreciate that, you know. Mm-hmm. However, on the other hand, we have to be careful here because, you know, all human beings are left and right brained and men do have some access to all this. We just know from research that women feel more frequently and more intensely than men do. Yes. And, and, and Dr. Khan, did you know that there's 412 separate emotions? No, I did not know that the list got that large until it's, I read that, that number in your book. Yeah. <laughs> and frankly, and, I'm wondering, what in the world are these 412 emotions? You know? yeah, We've got mad, sad, glad, and scared. Okay, then you can yeah. get a little more complicated, guilty, yeah. ashamed, nervous. But 412, that's a lot. But what research uncovered is that there's only one emotion that men feel more often and more frequently than women do. And that's... Can, do you want to guess? <laughs> I I just read that, but I don't remember. Oh, but my okay. guess was going to be anger. If if you, you know, if I didn't a, know that that answer was wrong, I would say anger. <laughs> I um I identify with your saying that because there's some there's some uh, research on that too. But but actually, what they say is is the one is self pride. Mm-hmm. That men men feel that more often, which which mm-hmm. is part of what we have going in the whole work world where men are eight times more likely to ask for a higher salary or to ask for a raise than a woman is. You know, I think that's part of that phenomenon. I don't know how much of that is feeling proud of themselves and how much of that is feeling that they have entitled, they're entitled to the right to ask for that, which women haven't discovered yet. Oh, I know. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll get there. (laughs) So, you know, if, if you take a couple and they sit down to talk, neither one of them knows that most men pay attention to and rely on their thoughts 
and most women pay attention to and rely on their feelings. This comes out of studies from the Myers-Briggs test, by the way. But, and, and, of course, we're not talking about IQ when we talk about thoughts and feelings because the genders tend to score equally on IQ tests. But the way this shakes out is that a woman tries to share something. And, you know, she has greater access to that 412 mutually exclusive and separate emotions. <laughs> so she, she shares something, right? And he steps over her feelings and reaches for whatever logic he can find there because he takes pride in that and in being right and in noticing inconsistencies as she talks and finding solutions quickly. He, he, he likes he even likes to argue just for the sake of, of intellectual stimulation. But all this can feel like an argument to her because she's doing something very different. And, you know, we talked a minute ago about, you know, guys being able to ask the question, how do you feel? That I always, with couple, when I'm doing couple therapy, I always like to say we need a plan A and a plan B. Plan A is that he asks how you're feeling. Plan B is that she says, I need to talk about my feelings. So un- unknowingly, he cuts her off from sharing, not knowing that she really doesn't feel like herself if her natural expressiveness is curtailed, you know, and, and that she seeks connecting intimate dialogue, not, not a factual argument. Well, and- I hate interrupting discussions of intimate thoughts, but it's time for a break. We'll be back in a minute. (laughs) Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions. Especially in cases of divorce, far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot org. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, Keep expenses down and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, 
please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. Dr. Catherine Foster today, who's done a fair amount of research about the neuroscience of romance, has been talking with me. I'm Virginia Collin, your host, about, um, well, the neuroscience of romance, partly. We were talking before break about how women, many women, need to talk about their feelings and they want the partner to be able to listen and be interested in and at least to some degree understand. And I would like to ask you now, Kathy, to describe some of the physical reasons that underlie that, the way that men's brains and women's brains are somewhat different from each other. You bet. You bet I can do that. You know, females have a more affiliative style. Like, they like cooperation. They like relationships. And it's related to their neocortex capacity. It's just larger than a guy's is. At the same time, a man's um, competitive and more conflict style relates to the subcortical units that are greater in his brain. So they dif- they develop different orientations. A woman seeks closeness, a man gravitates to power and competition. Now, beyond that, um, well, let me go, you know, I was talking about childhood earlier, and I think it's really interesting that um, men have a larger area of the brain than women do called the the DPN, Um, and it has to do with a a one-up, power-seeking, competitive orientation. It, it causes them to be sensitive to territorial threats from other men. So a, a, a boy has this going on. So as he's growing up, he doesn't develop closeness with other boys. There's always that competitive edge to that relationship. There can even be a bit of suspiciousness um, between men as they develop friendships. Um, women, however, have a very different kind of uh, friendship going on as girls and as women. Um, so as a as a as a adult woman, um, both both women as as they're developing a friendship, they have more circulating oxytocin, and oxytocin is that thing that makes you giving and bond, seeking bonding and being sacrificing. So that relationship will be, um, you know, kind of marked by those characteristics, very different than guys. So let, let me turn to another area where the, the brain structure is different. It has to do with sex. Um, <clears throat> men's preoptic area, um, that's part of the brain's hypothalamus, is 2.5 times greater in relationship to the sexual hunt, which is why self-help books tell women to let the guy, at least at the beginning of the relationship, pursue her. She can turn him off if he doesn't feel that hunt. And, you know, a lot of why we're in male-female relationships is men want to feel their masculinity. Women want to feel their femininity. There's another part 
of the male brain that's more active in males during sex, and it contributes to intense pleasure. So even if a woman is, even if she likes sex, even if she's a multiple orgasmer, she may in the end value sex less than her guy does. Plus, you know, sometime between the ages of 9 and 15, a boy's daily quotient of his one cup of circulating testosterone per day soars up to two gallons a day. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. And that (laughs) testosterone livens his hypothalamus to grow over twice that of a girl's, which pushes sexual conquest to the front of his thinking. So that's why you, you have, you know, girls going out on a date and the parents, maybe especially the father, is warning her and being care- to be careful around a boy when she's dating because he has this push and he doesn't even know how to handle it yet. He hasn't lived with it very long. And, and meanwhile, you know, something very different is happening to girls and, and we talked about that, that, that where the processing of emotion moves up to the cerebral cortex. So that's that's some of the big differences. You know, man, yeah, go ahead. I want to do just a little bit of summarizing and add a thought. So we've got brain structure that's somewhat different. There are some parts of the brain that are larger in men than they are in women. And Mm -hmm. I, I think one that you didn't mention yet is that women have... Uh, more going on in the corpus callosum. They have more connections between yes. the right hemisphere and the left, yes. he- left hemisphere than yes. men do. So they mm-hmm. do the integrated thinking and feeling mm-hmm. more often and more easily than men do. Mm-hmm. So there are structural differences in the brain, and then there are chemical differences in the hormones that are circulating in people's bodies, mm-hmm. particularly with this surge of testosterone in adolescence where... An awful lot of guys tell me, yeah, it's true. When I was a teenager, all I was thinking about was sex. <laughs> That's just yeah, it. yeah, sex. And um, a lot of men, you know, when they're older, they look back on their lives as young men, and they think of themselves as quite selfish. And testosterone does contribute to selfishness or a, sel- a strong self-orientation. So they know what they want to do. They know what they want. They go after what they want, you know. But it can also result in being being stingy, and and that is almost diametrically opposed to what's going on in a woman, because her estrogen is contributing to oxytocin, which makes her giving. Mm-hmm. Very different. Very different thing. Okay. So these are different things, and it is also true that all of these characteristics, uh, selfishness, being focused on sex, being nurturing or giving or caring towards the other person, those are characteristics that are available both to men and women, and you see them both in men and women. I think with, I think of it as two overlapping bell curves, mm-hmm. analogous to height, you know, men on the average, are taller than women on the average. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of individual women who are taller than certain specific individual men. There is, in fact, a huge range in Mm -hmm. which there are a lot of guys and a lot of women who are that height. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I, I think that some of these characteristics that we're talking about, such as, you know, being selfish about wanting sex, um, there's really some overlap that happens there. And Human beings are so complex. <laughs> I mean, there's always a lot going on with all of us, you know. And, yeah. And, and, yeah, there's environmental effects and, and, and so on. Uh, there, is, there are about 17% of men who we would call empathic, um, which, which most women fall into that category, you know, but not all. And there are some men who w- have what we call balanced brains. So they have, they have the empathy, and then they have what's called systemizing. Systemizing has to do with what most men do, which is focusing in on a system, whether it's a pencil sharpener or world economics, and, you know, focusing in to, to um, figure it out and find the rules of it. And, and like the consistency of those rules versus empathy lovers, you know, which are mostly women, um, who love the, the, the messiness of relationships and tend to be very relationship-oriented. But, yes, you're, you're right. There is <clears throat> my, my book is written for most women about most men. But no, right. it does not. It, it, you know, there yeah. are people. In fact, uh, Dr. Colin, it's it's interesting because I've had a lot of. I didn't I didn't expect so much men to read the book, but I've been surprised because men who are more empathic uh, really get some strength from the book because they realize they've been living in a world mostly dominated by uh, men who are systemizers, and um, they've. They've struggled with that. They struggled with being different, you know, and 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 they they know they're different. They know they relate differently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think I'm taking us a little bit off track here, but another illustration of <laughs> how acting as if people fall into two types rather than people are ranged along a continuum mm-hmm. can get uh, a little mis it can get more than a little misleading mm-hmm. uh, because we know that because uh, the widespread social belief about what women are like has changed so much mm-hmm. from century to century and culture to culture you know, in Victorian England, it was assumed that all women are frigid. There's something aberrant, <laughs> abnormal about a woman who actually you bet. Yeah. feels sex mm-hmm. <laughs> and is mm-hmm. passionate about it. And in other parts of the world, in other periods, women are assumed to be very sexual and not mm-hmm. good at controlling their own sexuality. So <laughs> the guys have to step in and do it for them. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, you do make it clear that your book is written for heterosexual men and heterosexual women, and that you're describing a general type. And I yeah. just like to remind us that you know we're, we're we shouldn't get too stereotyped about this. Right, right. Of course, of course. And when, of course, when you write a book, you have to write it to somebody. Right. And um, so, so I clarified from the onset kind of what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, and and I am talking 
two women who would call themselves empathizers, which, which is, you know, well over 50%. But let me, let me just describe what an empathizer is. It's, it's somebody who likes being a caretaker and likes being in relationships. They tend to be easy to talk to, and they can usually read why somebody is upset, and they feel for them. Um, they abhor hurting somebody, and they take responsibility if they do inadvertently cause harm. They can predict the feelings of other people and tune in to provide care. They can spot emotional pain, and they tend to be emotionally sensitive. They tend to be able to perceive deception. They would reach out to newcomers if they're in that situation and read them pretty quickly. They make uh, gestures of caring with no expectation of reciprocation. There, there you have the oxytocin effects. They tend to perceive facial expressions and tone of voice. So mm-hmm. most women are like that. And I, and I was wrong. I think it's four, let's see. Yeah, well, 14% of women have the systemizing brain. Most women are empathizers, and some have balanced brain between systemizing and empathizing. Okay, but, just yeah. for clarification for the listeners, systematizing is being interested in facts and data and the yeah. mechanics of how things work and yeah. mm-hmm. even political and economic systems, but, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's, yeah, not not people's emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, there's actually hundreds of studies. I When I was doing my research, I was pretty blown away. Uh, that show that women have greater uh, empathy, you know, emotional responsiveness and nurturance. But when you think about it, you know, um, if if a female failed to respond quickly to the distress of her of her little kid, or or even to read what her child's going to be going to do next, she would lose them. So Mother Nature sensitized her. I mean. Even in the United States and, and around the world, the number one killer of kids is still accidents, you know, relatively preventable type injuries. So Mother Nature had to make her kind of a reader of minds and a, and a person real sensitive to people. I know Darwin back in 1871 saw the human or, or the, the female gender as more tender and less selfish than her male counterpart. So, you know, a lot of this is based in, you know, we can go all the way back and talk about how most of human development um, consisted of men as hunters and women as nurturers. But, you know, to really, most of us know that, but to digest these powerful ideas and understand that our brains are very old and they adapted you know, to these roles and that we still still have those brains, basically. That's another thing. But that's also something that can be overstated because women, people, human beings, men and women, have always lived and evolved in groups. They don't, they don't live in isolation. <laughs> There's always a group. And the men may go off and have, you know, a hunting party for a big game, but... Even in, you know, in hunter-gatherer societies, women are capturing the small animals and providing 
more than 50% of the food supply. As I understand it, though, that food supply is um, vegetation. Because, you know, there's, there's still 179 hunter-gatherer societies that we can go look at. And when we do, we find that the man's, man's job is to hunt and to make war, and the females are, you know, they are venturing out and they are providing, I understood, like 60% of the food, but that's herbs and, you know, uh, uh, vegetables and fruits and all that, you know, and root, you know, you know, potatoes and carrots and that kind of thing. I because might we, have to go do some homework about that. I thought it included rabbits and squirrels and such, <laughs> but I could I could easily be wrong about that. Well, when male hunters killed or pursued animals, their testosterone rose sharply. And today, men's testosterone is like 10 to 20 times what a woman's is. So that makes him, you know, we've, we've talked about it, it, it it makes him focus on sex, but it, but it also um, causes him to be self-oriented or self-interested. And at the same time, she has all this oxytocin, which causes her to have the nurturance and emotional sensitivity. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I think it's really important for people to know that. I, I think a women, a lot of women, are in relationships where they have a lot of angst even depression, trying to make their relationship work. But what they're really trying to do is make this hairy guy into kind of a more feminine mind. Mm-hmm. And it can take a lot of her, her effort. But, yeah. you know, okay, we're going to yeah. take a break Okay, now, okay. Very and good. And when we come back, we will talk about how these... Um, somewhat different tendencies and characteristics in men and women affect romance and courtship and then long-term relationships. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, Visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. 
To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radioshow at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, your host, and I'm talking today with Dr. Catherine Foster, who has done a lot of research about romance. We've been talking about how men, on average, are different from women, on average. And I'm going to ask you, Kathy, now to tell us how this plays out over time in relationships. Well, you know, I've I've been thinking as we've been talking that I did need to give a caveat to all this because um, when you're in the first, oh, 8 to 12 months of a relationship, a lot of this will not show up. And the reason is that uh, Mother Nature intends for us to couple, and she powerfully uh, makes that happen. She gives us a hormonal cocktail. Um, that enters our body during that time. So one thing that's in the cocktail that we call romantic love is dopamine. And it rivets the lover's attention to one another and fires their motivation to please each other. So, you know, a, a woman might attend football games, but she's never going to do that again. And he might attend a knitting class, but he is not going to do that later. The dopamine causes them to be ecstatic about being together. It feels very good. But dopamine, though, is the same hormone that's behind the craving and dependency found in addicts. So believe me, this is strong. Then there's a second ingredient in this brew, and it's testosterone, and it drives the pursuit, especially in men, and it makes men think, I will make her mine uh, no matter what it takes. And he's on a course, and he may make some promises that are not going to be kept later, but it is such a kick to hear those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it is wonderful. And I, and I always tell people, enjoy the courtship, but please do not sign on the dotted line until at least a, a year and a half goes by, because you're not yourself. You don't know it, but Mother Nature is you know, like a tornado within you. She is causing something to happen. Then there's a a third ingredient in the hormonal brew, and that's norepinephrine. It goes up, and it causes the lovers to be exhilarated and energetic. You might even lose a little weight. Um, It also causes you to remember small details about the other person. Now, you might find, therefore, that and kind of be surprised that that your lover is less motivated and a little lazier l- later on. Interestingly, there's there's one chemical or hormone that's lower during this process, and that's serotonin. Um, that's what why we take antidepressants is to raise our serotonin to keep us from being depressed. But what happens is you become you become a little blue and obsessive if you're away from the lover. 
so that causes you to want to get together again. This low serotonin is the impetus of a lot of love songs. Ah. <laughs> yeah, and so, I think that most of us have experienced and observed this phenomenon of falling in love and mm-hmm. being preoccupied with the other person and everything you've described. Yeah, yeah. And so one thing that's not talked about very much, but I find it fascinating, is that during courtship, men have more oxytocin. So they're actually more like a woman during courtship. Um, so they will, they will talk more. They will disclose more. They will be more relational, actually. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a time in life when you need to take pictures and you need to bask in it and you enjoy it, but understand that it's um, different than what will be happening later. So, uh, and by the way, uh, Mother Nature also imbues men with the oxytocin when their partner has a child, and that allows them for a period of time to be able to bond with the baby. It's just, just interesting. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, after after this period when the relationship moves into, uh, you know, a, a more comfortable, uh, familiar, um, you know, steadying kind of thing that, that can last, you know, you, you, you drop some of these chemical highs because the human body can't really sustain that forever. Darn. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't it be more fun if we could? <laughs> I don't know. We might die. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you've got this sort of romantic, maybe honeymoon phase that's going to go how long? It it lasts, you know, it's different in different people, and it has partly to do with whether you live together, because that changes it. But um, about eight, eight months to a year is what I like to advise people to give it, you know. that's You know, that sounds very intriguing. How does living together change it? Oh, well, um, living together causes testosterone to go down some, because... Uh, you you find actual sexual fulfillment in just living together and sleeping together and seeing each other a lot, that, that kind of thing. The other thing is that when you're together that much, it's, it speeds up the, the whole relationship, you know. Uh-huh. Okay. So you, you, you move out of the idealism into, you know, more, more realism. You, you see the person's faults every day more clearly. Mm-hmm. So somewhere at about the fourth year, the woman starts understanding that though she has tried to tell him that she needs some other things, um, she starts realizing that, boy, you know, either this is a lot of work or he's just really not getting it. You know, at first she might think, well, he doesn't talk more about his feelings because you know, of something that happened in his childhood, or, or because maybe no one's ever given him permission to talk about his feelings. So I'm going to help here, and I'm going to try to draw him out, and I'm going to give him a lot of permission, and then it, it will change. And it's, it's worth all this hard work because I've invested in this relationship. Only that is, she, she begins to realize that that isn't exactly how it is, that this is, this is deeper than, than what she realized. So, so at that point, she's at a turning point. 
you know, she has to adjust her expectations and, you know, start coming to see him as he is and, and expect what it's reasonable to expect from him. You know, mm-hmm. or or she may go into kind of a sinking thing where she's constantly disappointed. And we know that when our expectations aren't met, it tends to lead to loneliness. So then she starts saying things to herself like, well, what good is this relationship? I mean, I mean I'm not getting my needs met, and I feel lonely all the time. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, we, and, and the other big thing, Dr. Colin, is, is, is people saying, we have irreconcilable differences because we have different values. The truth is, men and women do have a lot of different values. I, I'm not talking about uh, how you spend your money necessarily or, or religious values or, or political values, but something that you see in a romance, you know. She is valuing empathic dialogue and she really she often really married for that purpose you know mm-hmm. and and he is valuing you know the the structure of the marriage in a healthy sexual relationship and you know they, they a lot of times there there has to come a new commitment to the relationship you know where you see it for what it is and accept it for what it is one of the, one of the, if I could talk about this for a second, one of the biggest mistakes I think women make is letting go of their female friends. Um, because, like, German researchers found that when a man is joined by his significant other, a female, as he prepares for a stressful circumstance, like giving a, a speech or something, you know, his female partner's presence lowers his stress levels significantly. But if a woman is preparing for the same event and she's joined by her guy, her stress levels surge up or up, upward, you know? Mm-hmm. And the reason, we think, is probably because men give support by giving advice, which can feel like being pressured into do something, doing something, you know? And, and women offer support by giving just acceptance and validation. Mm-hmm. But Two, two women getting together with their abundant circulating oxytocin can feel bonded. They can, um, you know, have unrestrained, flowing conversation, share feelings, and, and not have the competition or the concealment that there tends to be between two men. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very important relationship for women. Okay, so we've got only three or four minutes left, and I want to get to your advice about relationships. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend that people postpone marriage or, you know, talk in detail? uh, Or do you recommend that people just accept you're different, your marriage is not going to be what you hoped it would be, but, you know, it could be good anyhow, hang in there. Yeah. What, What kind of advice do you give people? I think people can have a great relationship. I just think they have to know what's going on, and I think particularly females do. And they have to modify some of their expectations and broaden their lives so that they have fulfillment of that part of them, that that um, integrated emotion thought part of them in other arenas. You know. Now, again, I did write the book, What women want really 
for the purpose of of showing couples how to do all this and reviewing, um, you know, what, what, what works in a relationship. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say, Virginia, though, is, is that in other times, in other cultures, um, people have seen the male-female union as more of a mystical kind of thing. We, we tend to analyze a lot, but there are some arguments that won't be solved. Uh, and sometimes people need a, a break from each other. I'm not talking about divorce. I'm just talking about a, a you know a, a weekend break or a few hours break or something, because they've gotten too much. Maybe she's gotten too much masculine in, energy, and she just needs to find herself, relax her guard, and maybe you know connect with another female. Maybe journal. Maybe just get into her creative energies. Um. You know, but but just just appreciating that male and female are profoundly attracted to each other, and though that is though there are so many frustrations, the attraction remains, and many of the difficulties you find in one relationship you will find in another because of gender. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Um Probably part of the problem is that we expect so much from marriage now. You know, once upon a time, marriage was was to have legitimate children and mm-hmm. establish lines of inheritance and mm-hmm. have nice, have good kinship relationships. And now, some people are looking to one other person to meet all of their needs. And you, you know, just need yeah. you need to have more people in your life than that. Yeah. Yes. And part of the problem is that women are overworked. They just don't have time. But somehow, you know, between work and home and all the responsibilities, if she can find time for female friendships and other outlets, I think she'd be so much happier. All right. Well, we've mentioned your books, The Naked Truth About Men and Romance, and the second book, What Women Want, Really. And I know you've written about three other books, too. Mm-hmm. We, it Just in our closing moment, is there anything that you would like to emphasize, remind us where your website is, or give us another thought? Um, I'd say push the restart button every once, once in a while in a relationship and reboot. <laughs> Uh-huh. And yes, my my uh, my website is katherinefosterphd.com. Click on books, and it will take you to the links to buy them. Um, Catherine is K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Okay, Dr. Catherine Foster, PhD.com. Thanks so much for being on the show today and sharing so really intriguing ideas. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. 
brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 